Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Wow, it's so good to be here on stage with my best friend and my wife for 43 years, right? You got to get that right. And this, my wife's name is Mary Alice, for those of you who haven't met her yet. I know many of you got to meet Mary Alice during Noah's window uh, because she did a lot of the Noah's windows. And I know she's, she's just such an encouragement to my life. And I was excited that many of you got to hear her wisdom during the Noah's window uh, services, or, or I guess you could call them devotionals. By the way, that's going to start up on September 8th again. Is that correct? Lord willing, we're going to start taping this week. Lord willing. That's right. Actually, Mary Alice and I have an opportunity to get away for a few days. This coronavirus situation has been the hardest work we've ever done in our lives. And so that's true for all of our team. But a labor of love. A labor of love, yeah. And so thanks to the generosity of a new spring a family. We're going to, God willing, be able to get away for a few days tomorrow, but uh, we're taking our camera with us and the equipment, so we'll start recording some Noah's windows. But Mary Alice and I met in high school in Fort Worth, Texas, where we both grew up. Actually, we grew up about a mile from each other, maybe two miles on the, on the south side of Fort Worth, and uh, met in high school. And I always laugh about this because, and this is a fact, we actually met in debate class. <laughs> you know, I don't know what kind of harbinger that is for the future. But uh, we met in debate class, and, and uh, God just began to work in our lives. I was 16, Mary Alice was 14. So we grew up together. We grew up together, yeah. And it's kind of fun now because, uh, and I know that it's one thing when you meet as adults, and that has its benefits as well, but uh, when we're traveling, you know, we'll talk about middle school, like, do you remember this teacher, and do you remember this, you know. So we have a lot of common experiences growing up. But we actually met in a debate tournament that we were hosting uh, for our school. It was an invitational tournament that Im- invited all the other high schools in Texas to be part of. And, and uh, I remember, I think I was judging around mm-hmm. and then you were timekeeping, Time right? Keeper. And that's kind of how we met. Mm-hmm. I followed you around from that point forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just take a moment and talk about where we were at that stage in our life. I mean, I, I was in a peculiar place when I met Mary Alice in that I had grown up a pastor's kid and our church had changed a lot. We had a lot of uh, young leaders in our church, and I'll talk about this in just a moment. We had a lot of young leaders in our church who were in college or seminary training for the pastorate, and we kind of like lost them all at one time. They all graduated, and my board, or the board of our church went to my dad, and, and uh, we, we needed a, a worship leader. And I remember uh, the chairman of our board, who, by the way, is the person who taught me the Roman road and taught me to lead people to Christ. His name is Bill Bentley. 
Bill went to my dad and said, didn't Mark audit some conducting courses in the summer at college, uh, choral conducting? And dad said, yeah. And so the board said, well, we think Mark should be our next worship pastor. I was 15 at the time. Sounds bizarre. But I really wasn't walking with the Lord like I should. I mean, it was one of those things that I did with all my heart. But at the same time, I had a lot of... Uh, I had a lot of spiritual weakness in my life, and it was during that time that I met so you. So I intersected him, but I had no clue of that because I, I had been on my own journey, and I um, grew up in the church. Uh, the church I grew up in had dissolved pretty much by this time, and I had been on a, a, a kind of an odyssey of, of trying to firm up my faith. Um, I, from a very young age, believed that God had called me for something special, and, um, but subsequent to that, a lot of things happened in my life and, and um, kind of hit a barren place as much as, much as a 14-year-old. You know, I think we discount sometimes the depth of a, a young person and their struggles with spiritual things. And as a 14-year-old, I had memorized already great amounts of scripture, um, but I had very little understanding and, and I was struggling with that. And I remember in August of 1972, I went back to my room and put my Bible down on the floor, got on my knees, and I just said, God, I believe this, but I don't understand it, and I can't seem to find anybody that can help me. Could you please send somebody that can help me with this? And that was August, and September I met him. So when I met him, and I suddenly found out, when I found out he was a pastor's son, I just presumed things, you know? Um, <laughs> be careful when you presume things, but I just presumed things. And it, and it helped that when I asked him questions, he had answers. And so I presumed he had a spiritual depth, which really spoke to me because I was already looking for, honestly, I was, I was planning to follow God no matter where he took me. And I really thought I was probably going to end up being single. I'm, I'm just 14 still, but I'm just saying. Um, but when I met him, I changed my mind about that. And um, I decided I had just heard a testimony from a, a missionary that previous summer when we were at camp, and she uh, was a young person who had gone on a mission trip uh, to a beach somewhere, and she had met this young man. She was 15. He was older, but she was so uh, taken with his ministry that she just decided to follow him around until she finally married him, so that was still fresh in my memory when I met him, and I thought, that sounds like a good plan, <laughs> so I did that. I just kept after him until he relented. <laughs> I don't think it was that hard. <laughs> well, it, it is so interesting. And I love what Morales just said, because oftentimes we, we discount the things that God does in kids' life and, and teens and preteens. I was 16. I just turned 16 uh, when I met Mary Alice. To be honest with you, I did not have any interest in becoming a pastor. I, I, my dad was a a godly pastor. He was what he claimed to be. I knew you didn't get rich if you were a pastor. I knew that life could be really, really difficult. And I just didn't feel like that was the direction I was going to go, even though I was leading worship in my church. And, and God was blessing that, and the choir was growing, and a lot of cool things were happening. And I'll, there's some stories I'll tell you someday if I ever get time. Maybe we'll do it on Noah's window because I never want to use that time on stage to tell those stories. But um, my, my goal in life at that point uh, was to go to law school to be an attorney, and then I really wanted to go into broadcast journalism or politics, which is hard to believe. I mean, for one thing, we've been broadcasting here at New Springs since, uh, oh, I guess, the late 90s, so I've definitely had all the broadcasting that I want, and I've pastored a Baptist church for 20 years, so Lord knows I've had all the politics that I want. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, that was my goal in life, and, and I'd had a lot of success in forensics and debate, and in those days, you'd have universities that would start taking a look at you, and I had that going on already, and, and um, I grew up, my dad was not, as I said, my dad was not well-to-do, he was a pastor of an inner-city church in Fort Worth. So I knew my only chance to get into a great university was to win a scholarship. So I had all these debate tournaments and, and forensic tournaments stacked up, uh, and that was where I wanted to go. And that's, uh, the season started in September. We were doing a lot of tournaments in those days. But I remember as we got closer to Christmas, I was getting to know Mary Alice a lot more. And, and I'll tell you something about Mary Alice that has been true even to this day, is her walk with God is so intimate and so real that it, it's actually built my faith. And so when we were sitting in debate class uh, in the fall of 1972, she would ask me questions. And Mary Alice has always said that I have a gift for making things easy to understand, which even if she says it was still, it was even apparent in those days. But she would ask me questions about the Bible. What she didn't know was that she was having a massive impact on me because I'd learned these things growing up in church and in a pastor's home. They were just, they were, they were, Inf items of information for me. What, what really impressed me is it was important to her. I mean, it, she was driven to know what God had to say. So I remember as the end of the year got closer uh, and we'd had all these discussions about God and what the scriptures meant, my parents made me go to this Bible conference every year that led up to, it was called a New Year's Bible conference and it would start like the week before and I always lost the second half of my Christmas vacation going to this Bible conference. I mean, there'd be preachers in the morning, preachers in the afternoon, preachers at night, preachers in my dreams. So, uh, <laughs> and so again, I was not in love with it, but they, they would bring in great, great speakers from all over the country. So I said to her, Alice, well, if you're really interested in this, I have to go to this Bible conference. Why don't you go with me? So we get into my 1966 Ford and go to all these conferences. Well, God just really began to work in my life in that conference. And I'm telling too much because I want Mary Alice to talk to you. But let me just say this, and maybe it'll help you understand. Mary Alice and I were in the front. By the way, if you're sitting up in the front seat of the balcony, <laughs> God really works in that place. So here, you know, we're, I'm 16, she's 14. We're, we're at this Bible conference. We're in the front seat of the balcony. And God is dealing with me about preaching. And I, I don't talk to anybody about it. Didn't say anything to Mary Alice. Definitely wouldn't say anything to my parents about it. It's just not the kind of thing I talk to my parents about. So the minister is speaking. He's a great pastor, pastor of one of the largest churches in the country. And he swung his finger up right where I was sitting. He said, God is dealing with a young man about preaching right now. And he said, time out for a second. When a person was like being drawn to salvation in those days, we used to say they were under conviction which meant God was talking to them. So he said, you're under conviction tonight and you're wondering why you're under conviction because you know you're saved. But he said, you're under conviction tonight. He said, young man, it's because God is calling you to preach. So I thought I didn't know who told him about me, but uh, <laughs> I went home that night. And again, you have to be in a traditional church at some point in your life to understand this. We used to have what we would call watch night services. And it would always be New Year's Eve. Anybody ever go to a watch night service? Okay, all six of you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> a watch night service, the church gets together about 8 o'clock and they stay together till midnight. And so they'll, they'll break for like food about 10 o'clock and then they'll pray the New Year in. But that was always the night for all the young preachers to get their turn to preach. And as I said, in my church, we'd always had a lot of Bible college students, seminary students, and so we never had any problem. But in 72, for some reason, we had no, no young preachers. And my dad came to me, and this was right after that preacher pointed his finger at me in that conference. 
Dad said, Mark, we don't have any young preachers to preach. He said, I know you don't preach, but he said, you always give speeches at school. Why don't you give a speech about the Bible? So I was so thankful that Mary Alice was there, New Year's Eve, 1972. When Romans 12.1. Romans I remember 12, when we got, one, because right. his dad and his whole family would always be at church an hour early at least. And we were there early and he said, let's go out on the parking lot for a minute because I need to talk to you about something. And so we went walking and he said, I've believed that God's been calling me to preach and I'm going to be preaching my first sermon tonight. So I used to keep a box every time he preached, whether it was a funeral or a revival or whatever it was, I had a box Many years later, um, the mice got that box. But I had notes for every time he preached. Um, so I'm, I'm, it was a treasure for me to get to be there at the beginning. Well, and, I, and God just began to open doors immediately. I mean, I preached my first revival at, in the summer after my junior year in high school. And, and so I, I just never stopped preaching. But you used to type my sermons. Oh, I did. Should in I those days. Yeah, you go ahead and tell it. It's okay. Okay, so in the, in the wife department... <clears throat> I considered, I mean, it was just my understanding of being a wife. When, when we became married, my understanding of being a wife was I'm his number one fan, I'm his number one assistant, I'm his girl Friday, whatever he needs, that's why I'm here. And so one of the things he needed early on, uh, even a couple years before we got married, was he was in college, and you, in this particular college, you went to class and you wrote your notes down, but they had to be typewritten to turn in. Well, he wasn't going to type, so I learned to type so I could type his notes. So I was his typist, and uh, not just for notes for school, but also his sermon notes. And so very often he would write his notes out by hand, give them to me, and I would type them. And now his handwriting isn't the best. That's um, why I print everything. But I could interpret most things. But I remember one night he hurriedly handed me his notes, and he went off. We were, we were at his parents' house, and I was at the dining room table with the typewriter. He had gone off to get dressed for the evening. And he gave me the notes, and so I typed them very diligently. And by this time, I was a fairly proficient typist. And, you know, we put headings at the top. And so this is an odd title for a sermon, but I thought, okay. All caps, I put the title of the sermon was, leave a little room here at the top. I thought, this should be kind of interesting. I just, I, when I would speak at churches in those days, you know, I'd kind of be on stage and I would see what was going to happen, you know, and, and so if I, I thought of a, like a funny thing to say or just something to break the ice with the audience, I'd, I would just kind of watch what was going on and then I would write it at the top. So I was giving her instructions, leave a little room at the top. I'm very literal. And so, but, and so here's the thing. I handed him the notes as we're dashing out the door and he gets up to the church. And, and that was my title. I actually... <laughs> I actually preached a message at New Spring probably about 20 years ago called Leave a Little Room at the Top. It was a great title. I just didn't have the sermon that went with it. <laughs> it wasn't that one that night. Yeah. But we dated all the way through college, and we got married my senior year in college. And I would just say this about Mary Alice. We got married June 11, 1977. I was called to my first church exactly a week before that. So really all of Mary Alice's married life, she's been a pastor's wife. And, and by the way, that changed all of our plans. That wasn't yeah, our plan. When right. we planned our wedding, that was not the plan. So, um, you know, we've, we've not only lived our lives as, as, as a couple married and, and a couple in love with each other, but we've also lived our lives in the fishbowl of pastoring. And you guys are so good. Uh, you're such a wonderful church that, you know, you've never made me feel awkward or, you know, you've, you've never judged us. You've always let us be ourselves. But that wasn't always the case. I mean, for years in our pastoring, uh, it was really clear you lived in a fishbowl. You raised your kids in a fishbowl. 
Um, and on top of that, uh, I'm a leader that's never been able to keep my foot off the accelerator. So, you know, I would always be leading our church to do things that were bold, and that's a good way to get criticized. But we've always walked side by side. Well, as, as I said, and we need to move along because um, we're going to have our vow renewal in just a few moments. But Jonathan had challenged Mary Alice and me to just share what we believe are some keys. And, uh, you know, as we were getting ready today for our service, we said, well, there are a million things we would love to share about here's what you do in this situation, here's what you do in that situation. But because of time today, we've really, um, we've really reduced it down to just some core essentials. And so, Mary Alice, I'm going to ask you to share. I know, and here's the thing, Mary Alice is going to share with, with ladies, but there are, there, there are a lot of things she's going to share with ladies that men need to, and probably the same thing for me. So, Mary Alice, I'll just turn it over to you. Okay, I'm distilling it down to just a few things, but I would say this um, to two groups of ladies, those of you who are not married yet, um, at least in my life, if you really want a successful long-term marriage, first thing you should look for is a godly man. And like I said, I was prepared to be single. There's a lot of worse things than being single. And I was prepared to be single. I really kind of thought that's what God had for my life. So, um, and one of the reasons I bring that out is I just heard a, a kind of, to me, a very sad story. And I hear a lot of sad stories, but someone was just sharing with me a week or so ago about a dear friend of hers who's in a, a bad relationship. This is a Christian woman. She's living in a way she knows it's not pleasing to God. She's living with somebody who knows, she knows, doesn't love God, isn't going to honor God. And what she said to uh, this person that was sharing with, with me was she said to her friend, I know I can't find a husband like you have, so this is the best I can do. Ladies, don't go there. You're, you're signing up for a life of, of heartache and pain. So it's much better to be single and be in line with God's will than to be married out of desperation. That seldom ever works well. Um, and let me say this, and I'm, and I'm going to try to not share too much here, but... Um, that one of the reasons that was so important to me, besides the fact that I believe there was God's call in my life, and, and when I met him, as you've heard him share already, it would be clear to anyone who'd been in my position, God had anointed him. I, I've watched him over all these years. I've watched God work through him and do things in him. And, um, uh, and I'll throw this in because I was going to say it later, but I just want to say it now and make sure I don't forget it. When we go through the vows, there's one phrase that I think is so in, incredibly important where it says, I'll always defend you. I've always been happy to defend him because his heart is right. And I know he's done right things and good things for God. I can only do that. I, I couldn't defend the indefensible. He's never asked me to defend the indefensible. I defend him proudly because he's done the right things. But going back to the situation. So some of you might say, but Mary Alice, I'm already in that situation. So now what? Let me share with you. A lot of you, if you've watched Noah's Window at all, have heard me share a lot about my mom. And I don't want to go into too much detail. I'm late awake last night deciding how much of this to share. But I'll just say this. When I was growing up in my home, my mom was a faith champion. She taught us. She didn't just take us to church. She didn't just drop us off at church. She taught us at her knee. We read the Bible together at home. We prayed. It was important to her. But my dad, on the other hand, didn't want anything to do with that. And there was always this tension in our home. At every meal, my mom's at one end, my dad's at the other. This was back in the days when people actually sat down and ate together. But anyway, so we're in, my mom would always insist that we pray while my dad's, my dad's grumbling, you know, waiting for that prayer to be over so he can dig in. So everything was a tension. When we went to the church, which we went, you know, back in those days, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every, my dad would say, every time the doors are open. So there was always this tension. 
And in my heart, I thought, if God has a partner for me, I want him to be going the same direction as me. I want him to be a, a godly man. But my mom didn't get that. Um, and I won't even, she, she, there's, there's a story behind all that. But I will say this, in spite of the fact that my dad was constantly opposing her, she was faithful. Now, if he had harmed her in any way, we would have left, but he never did. Her father was an alcoholic and had some real issues. And, um, so I, and I want to throw that in there, too. If you're in an abusive relationship, get out, get help. That is my, my advice to you. So, and, and this reason I throw that down there, too, is because too many abusers will take this book and try to coerce someone to stay with them and abuse them. That's just wrong. If someone's abusing you, that is not of God. You get out and you get help. But if you're in a situation that's less than ideal, uh, stay in there. I mean, our, we have been pointed in the same direction. We've been following God all these years, but don't think it's been a, a, a smooth... We've had challenges. Oh, my goodness. We've had challenges from the outside, from the inside, from backside, from, I mean, every way you can think of. We had, we had years where we lived in rodent-infested, roach-infested, horrible places. We've, we've gone through attacks that were unwarranted. We've, we've just gone through a lot. It's not been a rosy bed for us. But I tell you what made us, helped us persevere through all of that. First of all, that we were a, an inseparable unit and that we were both following God, and we both understood that. And when one of us was feeling weak, the other one could lift the other one up. So it's important to, to try to go the same direction. But if you're in that situation, you know, the Lord tells us to, to stay with that, that spouse if you can, if, if you can live with them peaceable, because it's a testimony. So going back to my mom, my dad resisted, resisted, resisted. He was grumpy about it um, the whole time. When I finally got married, left home, maybe that was the thing. I don't know. The one, and I was number four. I was the caboose, and I left. And my parents moved to a new place, and my dad started going to church. And the, we had moved to Houston, and we came home uh, because when we would come home to Fort Worth, we had to stay with someone because we didn't have a place then. So we would stay with them, and I'll never forget the first time we came home, and we were gathered around for meals, and remember I told you what the meals were like, and so we're all looking at Mother to tell her, for her to tell us who's going to pray. And my dad steps forward and says, let's pray. <laughs> and he starts praying, and all of us four girls, you know, we're, the tears are streaming. We, you know, when you pray for your dad for over 20 years, you wonder. And, oh my goodness, but my mom's testimony and her faithfulness won my dad. And he served God for 13 years. He actually became a home missionary. Now, my dad, what he did is he drove a vegetable truck down on the border and sold vegetables to help a medical missionary that worked on the border. But I'm just saying, if you're in that situation, don't give up. Unless you're being abused, don't give up. Be a testimony to that spouse and stay in there. So God first. And then one more thing real quick, because I think this is important <clears throat> as a wife. It's so important to respect your husband. And I can't tell you how many women have talked with me privately and said, but you just don't understand. I can't respect him. You know, honestly, ladies, respect is a gift that you give. And you can find something that you can build your husband up in. And you can bite your tongue on the things that don't matter. Because they, they seem a little rough and tough, but really they're tender inside. And it's so important to guard their spirit and to guard their um, self-esteem. Here's the thing. Inside, they know they're just human. They know they're messing up. And the last thing they want to do is disappoint you. I think probably almost every painful argument we've had, 
was because he thought I was disappointed in him. And uh, misunderstandings are, are the hardest things to deal with. But I would, I would just advise you, if you're in a marriage relationship, build your husband up. Don't tear him down. Don't pick at him. Don't criticize every little thing that he does because that's going to destroy your marriage. But respect your husband. I think that honors the Lord. You know, that's so true for just everybody. You know, I said a few moments ago, this is for men as well as women. I, I just think respect is so key. I, in fact, you've heard me talk to young pastors who would come to me and say, what would you counsel me to do? And I always say, respect your audience. That's the first thing you do, you know. And I, I remember, um, and anyway, I, there's so many stories we'd love to tell, and that's part of our deal. We, we really need about three hours to do this. Or three but days. <laughs> I will say this, one of the sweetest memories that I have is, uh, this is many, many years ago. You know, I've been here 35 years, Mary Alice and I have. And uh, we hadn't been here too long. We still lived at the parsonage across the parking lot from the old campus. I'll never forget the day that your mom and dad drove up from Texas. Mm. And uh, we had gone out to greet them. And your mom got out and was greeting you. And Morales' dad said to me, get in the truck. So uh, I got in the truck. <laughs> and sat down. He said, let's go down. There was a McDonald's up the street from us there on Hillside. And he said, uh, let's go up to McDonald's. And he said, I've been listening to your sermons all the way up. And he the said. Let's Get Real series. Yeah, the Let's Get Real series. The yeah. first one. And he said, uh, that was the first box series I think mm -hmm. we ever did. And he said, if, if what I hear you saying is right, I, I can know that I'm saved from having just trusted Christ as my Savior. And what a joy. I, I, when I preached your dad's funeral, I'll never forget being able to tell that story of your dad being sure of his salvation in the McDonald's at, at uh, Harry and Hillside up there. So. God has just been so good, and, and, and I'm thankful for what Mary Alice said. She is so wise. I'm going to try to give you what I believe, guys, are my keys for marriage that I've learned through the years, and some of these things I'm still working on. The first one, though, thankfully, happened a long time ago. I just don't think that you can ever overestimate this first one, and that is when you get married, start out with God's choice. I really do believe that God has a will for each one of us. And, and I don't know that I'm saying that there's just one person in the world that you can get married to. That's above my pay grade. But I just know this. I know that when you find a wife or when you find a husband, as Marilyn said a few moments ago, you need to find somebody who's walking on the same path. I mean, the Bible says we should not be unequally yoked together. And oftentimes people take that to mean that a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. And that's true. But I think it's deeper than that. I mean, how can you walk together unless you're on the same journey? And so uh, you want to find God's choice for your life. Let me give you a couple of scriptures on that. Proverbs 18, 22, <laughs> there's a verse that says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. That's how it usually gets preached. In fact, if you grew up with the King James Version, it would be if a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. But the Amplified Version puts the word in there that needed to be there. The Amplified says, uh, whoever finds a true wife finds a treasure. You know, here's the thing. We all have imperfections. We all have our flaws and our quirkiness, and we have our bad days. But I really do believe that number one on the list, after you find a person that you believe God is leading you to share your life with, you need to know that person is a Christ follower, but this person needs to be somebody who can tell the truth. And that's really getting hard to find. Because in our world today, you know, it, it's no longer does a person tell the truth, it's how skillfully can they lie. And we've just seen so many things happen in our culture where today, I mean, you know, when, when you have these uh, high-profile people that issue an apology, you know, most of the time you can tell that apology was written by a PR person. And the question that they ask in the media is, uh, did their apology sound legit enough? Well, the thing of it is, 
It's so key, it's so important to be with someone who tells the truth, who, who is what they claim to be. And we see, of course, bizarre situations where people get together on the internet and, and when they finally meet, they discover that they're not meeting the person that they thought they were meeting. And, and that can happen in all kinds of ways. Um, so let me just take it now to another verse, uh, scripture that may be familiar to you. Proverbs chapter 31 is talking about the godly woman. In fact, when I preach Mary Ellen's mom's funeral, I preach Proverbs 31 because she was such a godly woman. Uh, she was a praying woman. So much I think of Mary Ellen's love for prayer uh, comes from, from her mom. And she was such a blessing to me. I never could tell mother-in-law jokes. You know, there were some ministers I would grow up listening to that would tell mother-in-law jokes. I could never do that because she told me still when I was a teenager, it was pretty clear Mary Alice and I were headed toward the altar. She said, I prayed for you every day from the day I found out I was carrying Mary Alice. She said, I didn't know your name, didn't know where you live, but I prayed for you every day. By the way, moms and dads, that's, that's a great piece of advice. Um, and then she told Mary Alice when we got married, she said, never complain to me about Mark. If you ever have a disagreement, I'll always take his side, which she did. <laughs> And uh, you just can't tell mother-in-law jokes about someone like that. So when she passed, I preached from this and could do it with great conviction. The Bible says, who can find a virtuous wife? Now, the scriptures are going to go on and talk about all kinds of things that a strong woman does. And I know sometimes this can create guilt because women will look at this and be like, well, I don't know that I do have this list. But really, when you get to Proverbs 31, the godly wife, that one word sums it up more than anything, a virtue, a virtuous woman. This means someone who is true, someone who believes things and lives life according to what she believes. The scripture says, for her worth is far above rubies, the heart of her husband, this is a massive word, safely trusts her. Listen, guys, there, there are a lot of stupid things that got into the groundwater of our culture that are, that are believed, and they're wrong, they're stupid. And, and one of those things is a great marriage is based on trust. That is not true. I mean, I've counseled hundreds and hundreds of couples where someone trusted, but it blew up. A great marriage is not based on trust. It's based on trustworthiness. It's, it's based on a person being real and, and look at this. Scripture says if you find a virtuous woman or a virtuous man, the heart of their husband or wife safely trusts in them. And, and I can say this. Mary Ellison and I, you know, <laughs> please don't get the idea we're perfect. We struggle. I'm still working on so many of these things. Um, and we have our, our days. And I'm, I'm, very, I'm blessed to be married to a strong woman, uh, Mary Alice. And I never have to worry about what Mary Alice is thinking. There are no hidden agendas with Mary Alice. And uh, I enjoy that. I'm glad for that because I don't do well with people who have hidden agendas and that kind of thing. You should tell them what this test said when we took it together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we took a personal, uh, you know how you test your personalities. And we did a blended profile. And uh, the blended profile was kind of interesting because... Yeah, it said, it said you are very uh, frank with one another, which is probably good for the two of you. You might scare people that are around you. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I got to say this now because you got me started. Marilyn is on our senior team here. She is the only person on our staff I didn't hire. <laughs> she was hired, hired by my predecessor. Um, but, you know, we're in senior team meeting and all of us lead big parts of the ministry. So Marilyn, of course, is an advocate for her ministries and, and I'm senior leader. And so Marilyn will say, well, we need this. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, just, you just can't do this. We don't have space for that. And, and so, you know, she'll She'll begin to be a strong advocate for her departments. And so for everyone else listening into the room, that's probably got to be a really interesting place to be because 
it's not heated necessarily, but it's frank. And just so, things he hasn't thought of I need to bring to his attention. <laughs> and, and so as soon as we have that discussion, you know, the meeting's over, it's like, where do you want to go for lunch? But it's just business, <laughs> you know. So I'm so thankful for that. But I'll say this. I've never questioned whether I was safe with Mary Alice. You know, I've had husbands tell me, what am I going to do if my wife finds out my secrets? And I always kind of laugh at that because it's like the one person who knows all my secrets is Mary Alice because I'm safe with her. And I know if I tell her, and I've, I've shared my deepest heart, I've shared my biggest fears. And every password and every email. That's true. <laughs> I, I just, I'm safe with her. And so I, I think that's so important to find. It, it all starts with that. Finding someone, if you're a man, find a wife that you're safe with. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, you know, find the husband that you're safe with, whose character makes them a safe choice. The second thing I want to point out real quickly to husbands, and this is all for husbands. There is one verse in the Bible that is the verse for husbands. So husbands, if you want to know how to be a great husband and you, and you're like me and you have ADD and you're not good with lists, this is your verse. And, and I don't think there's hardly a day that goes by that something doesn't come up with Mary Alice and me that I have, uh, that I don't think there are many days where I don't have opportunity to think about this verse. There are four key statements in it. And so I'm going to read the whole verse and I'm going to go through them real quickly. Ready? Here we go. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Okay? So I need to unpack that because... There have been those who have misunderstood that verse and have applied it wrongly. So with the time that I have, I want to go through it real quickly. It says, husbands, live with your wife according to, I don't like the word understanding there, although it's an okay word. The Greek word is gnosis. We get our word knowledge from it. So it means husbands, live with your wife according to knowledge. Now, here's the deal. When I think back on my faux pas as a husband, they came because I was stupid. I thought I knew more than I knew. See, here's the thing. I didn't say this, but when I got married, I thought, husbands live with your wife according to your reactions. I'll figure it out. I'll know what to do. I'll know what to say. Well, here's the deal, and I know this isn't politically correct, but don't worry about that too much. Uh, There is not a man in the world who understands how a woman thinks. And there's not a woman in the world who understands how a man thinks. We all think we do, but we don't. So if I'm going to live with Mary Alice according to knowledge, I mean, there's, there's great help from books and seminars and all that kind of thing. But real quickly, I learned that I have two great sources for having knowledge and knowing how to live with Mary Alice and be her husband. My first source of knowledge is God. If there's something in here that tells me how to follow Jesus, it will make me a better husband. My other source of information is Mary Alice. Because who knows more about Mary Alice than she does? And so consequently, it's not my job to presume what she's thinking. It's my job to listen. And the more I listen, the more I learn. And the more I learn, the more I'm able to live with Mary Alice according to knowledge. Okay, this second expression has probably been as misapplied as any verse of scripture. It says, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. And in a male-dominated culture, which a lot of religions have been through the years, there's been the idea, oh, the husband is the strong one, the wife is the weak one. That's not what weaker vessel means there. I mean, for any of you who doubt whether or not your wife is stronger than you, I would just say this. If you've ever been around when she gave birth, I can tell you, I've been there three times. She is stronger than I am because I could not do that. So here's the thing. The, the key word there is vessel, 
vessel. You have vessels in your house. I mean, like to the side of my house, I have a dumpster. We put our trash in there. We don't worry about what happens to the dumpster. It gets kicked. It gets, you know, it rolls out into the streets. It can actually get nudged by a car. We do not care what happens to our dumpster. It is not a weaker vessel. I mean, we don't display it in our house. We don't call people's attention to it. We don't say, here's our early American Rubbermaid. I mean, we just (laughs) don't do that. It is not a weaker vessel. But all of us know what it's like to have fine crystal that's, that's magnificently created. We're more careful with that. I remember I did a series called um, Takeoff. In fact, I, I love looking at the images from that. I had a quarter size 737 of, uh, over my head during that series for those of you who were back, here back then. But I did a couple of messages called the Attitude Indicator, which is the primary instrument for a pilot. And we have a, a guy in our church who's uh, one of the greatest surgeons I've ever met, but he's also a great pilot and he actually trains pilots. And so as I was getting ready to do the talk on the Attitude Indicator, He borrowed actually an electronic attitude indicator from a plane manufacturer here and he brought it to me and showed me how to turn it on and I brought it out on stage. But right before I walked on stage, Joe told me, oh, by the way, this costs (laughs) $10,000. I was very careful how I cradled that. I made sure nobody bumped me. So when the Bible talks about giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, it doesn't mean that she's weaker. It just means, husbands, you think about something. She's God's creation. She is an intricate, beautiful, magnificent creation of God. The word honor there comes from the Greek word timaeo, which means to give value, to ascribe value. So that's the second thing that that verse tells us. And then the third thing that it tells me is that we are heirs together of the grace of God. Now, husbands... Next time you get into an argument with your wife and you're inclined to say something, I want you to imagine an imaginary sign around your wife's neck. Because see, here's the thing. Oftentimes we think we can say what we want to say because she's my wife. What that verse tells me is she is God's daughter. So the next time you get in an argument, you just imagine a sign around her neck that says, I am God's daughter. The, the fourth and the final thing, and I'll just I'll stop my part with this. Um, The Bible says, husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, as heirs together the grace of God. And then finally, (laughs) husbands, heads up. God says, so that your prayers are not hindered. So do you know what God is saying to me and to you, every husband here or every husband watching? The way I treat Mary Alice is going to be the way God treats me the next time I pray. I mean, I I desperately need God to answer my prayer. But how many times, husbands, do we go to pray for something that we desperately need from God and God's like, I'm not going to talk to you right now. I mean, there have been days, and it's been a while, but there have been days when I'm getting ready to preach and I've said something unkind to Mary Alice and I would have to go find her before I could come out here and preach because I couldn't preach. My heart wasn't right. And on top of that, God couldn't bless me. He couldn't bless the message because I was in a place that God couldn't bless. Well, we're in overtime And I'll just throw out two more things that I don't have time to develop before we do our vow renewal. Uh, I would just say, husbands, uh, and let me say this. I am intensely competitive. I'm the most competitive human being you've ever met in your life. Uh, I never was a a really gifted athlete, but I was always that athlete that you had to be prepared to kill. (laughs) That is a fact. Uh, But I think 
as in my youth, especially having the debate background, for me, if we would get into an argument, it wouldn't be so much about what the argument was about. It was about winning. And God had to teach me that difference of view doesn't mean we're on opposite sides. And then finally, looking back at my age, it's so clear that so much of the anxiety I had was unnecessary, but God clearly had a plan for our lives and he's worked out his plan and it's been a wonderful plan. So thank you, Mary Alice, for joining me today on stage. But before we leave, we're going to give you a chance to renew your vows. And so this is gonna take a minute or so. Whether you're in North Auditorium, there's a spot where you can just stand up at your seat or you can walk forward. South Auditorium here, there are aisles, there, there's room here at the front, just wherever you wanna be. If you're at home, you can join us in this, but husbands and wives, if you wanna participate, I'm gonna ask you to either stand at your seat or to move to the aisles or move to the front here. Mary Alice and I are gonna lead you in a vow renewal, so we'll just wait here for a few minutes. Give you a few more minutes. My, you guys look great. If you were here the week that I brought the message on love, I shared with you how that I wrote the vows based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so uh, that's what we're gonna do now. Here's the thing, I'm gonna lead the guys and I'm gonna ask you to repeat after me. And guys, don't be bashful. Uh, you wanna make sure your wife can hear you, but don't worry about anybody else hearing you because That'll be a blessing to God. So guys, I'm gonna lead you. I'll say it line by line. And if you will, repeat the, uh, repeat the vow. Now don't look at me. I want you to look at her, okay? All right, here we go. Oh, there's still time. You don't wanna miss this. If you do, you'll have to come back to the next service. Ready, men? Here we go. By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you because I love you. I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. These are hard to say without getting choked up. But ladies, before we start, just a personal word here. Thank you. You're the best. That's not on the script. Okay. <laughs> okay, ladies, are you ready? By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way. Our hope has fallen against you. Don't cry, you make it worse when you cry. <laughs> I will be loyal to you. Always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. Because you're the best. 
<laughs> I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. Okay, husbands, you may kiss your wives. <laughs> I get to do this three times. That's really good. <laughs> We're seven minutes over time, but it's been good. Thanks for being here today. God bless. We'll see you soon. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.